If you have a copy of God's Word, uh, meet us right there in Jude 1 and 2. My name is Daniel. I get the opportunity to teach God's Word today and serve uh, here at Journey. Uh, we start a brand new series called Faith That Last. Uh, we all desire our faith or our relationship with Jesus to be something uh, that lasts in our life. We don't want it to end. And that's what this whole book of Jude is about. If you're struggling to find it, it's a small one-page little letter, uh, 25 verses. Go to Revelation, make a left, you'll find it uh, in there in that regard. And we're going to dive in through the rest of the series, weeks uh, two through five, on uh, that title and why we selected it uh, to kind of uh, pinpoint the book of Jude. Uh, but today is more introductory, if you will, an icebreaker. Uh, we're all accustomed to icebreakers. If you started back to school this week, or maybe uh, you're a college student joining us from move-in weekend, and you're probably going to have to do an inevitable icebreaker in some class that you do this week. And those are the questions that I love to hate. I hate icebreaker questions. Uh, if you start in a new group tonight uh, or sometime next week, you're probably going to have to do an icebreaker question. And it's, it's one of those ridiculous questions where you do like, tell me your name, your favorite flavor of ice cream. And then somebody's like, I'm dairy free. And you're you just like, okay, just pick something though. Because an icebreaker is just the best way we as people uh, know how to get to know one another. And Jude, inevitably, in these first two verses, I'm calling them Jude's icebreaker. He's informing us about himself. Because an icebreaker, even though I personally love to hate them, they're powerful in some way. Because in a culture where we uh, get pinpointed and, uh, pinpointed and uh, labeled by so many different things with social media, an icebreaker is an opportunity for you as an individual to answer a question about you the exact way you would do it. Like you have a lot of power in an icebreaker, even though it may be just your name and favorite flavor of ice cream or your name and where you work, or, or whatever the case may be. And Jude does that exact thing by introducing us to who he is and who he's writing to. And so I titled this sermon this morning, if you're taking notes, Hey Jude. Please refrain from singing Beatle lyrics in your head the rest of the time I'm talking. But in this icebreaker, in this introduction to who Jude is and who he's writing to, I believe if we understand who Jude sees himself to be, in his relationship with Jesus, it will help all of us as well. So let's dive into the text about Jude, verses 1 and 2. He starts like this, verse 1. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ. Stop right there. Jude starts off by informing us about his connectivity to Jesus. He says he is a servant of Jesus Christ. But this word servant isn't the normal word for a household helper. Rather, it's the Greek word doulos, which means bondservant or slave. But most commonly, it's used in the Old Testament to talk about a relationship to the higher power, to Yahweh God himself. It's used for Moses, Joshua, and David like this. Look at it together. In Joshua 14, 7, it'll be on the sky Bible behind me if you uh, don't flip that fast. But in, my, in Joshua 14, 7, it says it like this. When I, this Joshua, was 40 years old, when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me. Another context in Joshua at the end of Joshua's letter in chapter 24, verse 29. After these things, Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died. Now Psalm 89, in the voice of Yahweh God, uh, the Lord God himself. He says it like this. He says, I found David my servant. So in 
Jude doing this and relating himself as servant of Jesus Christ. He's doing two things. There's two things he's doing. The first thing he's doing is he's letting us know his connectivity underneath Jesus. He's saying, I am his servant. But he doesn't do this accidentally, like he's saying, oh, I'm a follower of Jesus. Yeah, me and Jesus, we're cool. Like, he's my boss, I'm second in command. No, but rather of using this exact phraseology of how it would be used as the Old Testament patriarchs or the Old Testament leaders, he is putting Jesus on the same status as Yahweh God of the Old Testament. That for Jude, Jesus doesn't, isn't, isn't this just cool teacher or this inspirational figure, but he's on the same level as the God who flung the stars in the sky. He's on the same level for the God who parted the Red Sea. He's on the same level as all the acts of the Old Testament that God in the Old Testament did. That's why Jude says, I am a servant of Jesus Christ. In this phrasing, Jude points us to tell us that he sees Jesus for exactly who Jesus is. Second person of the Trinity, the only son of God. And this is crazy because of the next phrase that Jude uses. He says, Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James. Brother of James. Okay, well, why does this even matter? It's great, you know, I could say Daniel, servant of Jesus Christ, only child. Like, why does it matter that he's the brother of James? Well, this is most likely the famous James, the James in the New Testament who is a leader in the church of Jerusalem, who is Jesus' brother. Galatians 1, 19. But I saw none other than the apostles except James, the Lord's brother. The Lord's brother. So if you're tracking with me still, if James and Jesus are brothers, and Jude and James are brothers, that means that Jude and Jesus are also brothers. So why is it, why didn't he just come out and say that? Why doesn't Jude just say, hey, servant of Jesus Christ, yep, he's also my brother. Because there's really two reasons for this as well. The first is he's probably honoring James by saying, I'm, I'm James's brother. But second, he's showing what a lot of New Testament authors show, which is authorship humility. Because he doesn't want anyone to know him by his earthly connection to Jesus. He's way more concerned of his spiritual or theological connection to Jesus. He's more concerned that he is a servant of Jesus, not that he is the brother of Jesus. And this is a humbling thing for Jude. Because Jude, if he grew up with Jesus and, and he was connected to Jesus in such a way of, we're not sure about their, their age gaps, we have uh, speculation, but Jude had to learn this fact and this principle through his whole life. And it teaches us in this moment that our faith in Christ is more important than any familial or family ties. That what our connectivity to Jesus is, is way more important than any family connection. Doesn't mean that th those are not important, but it does say that this relationship to Christ is more important. And Jude, in his learning, in his humble learning, growing up with Jesus, we're told in multiple places all throughout the Gospels that none of Jesus' siblings believed in him until later in their life. 
Like look in one place in John 7, 5, where it says, for not even his brothers believed in him. Another place in Mark, Mark 3, 21, it says, and when his family, that's the family of Jesus, heard it, they went out and seized him, for they were saying he is out of his mind. So when Jesus is going about doing ministry in his life, the early stages of him, like, coming forward and and doing miracles and doing teachings, his brothers, his family, saying this guy's a lunatic. He has no idea what he's talking about. No faith in him. So Jude would have been included in that group. The group that said, you know, Jesus, I don't know who this guy is. Like, don't claim him as my family. And we all have family like that, right? Like, we're like, ah, we're not going to claim that one. You know, like, they're a distant cousin. And for Jude, this is where he was in his connectivity to Christ until later on in his life. But now, when he had seen Jesus for who he truly was, it all changed. It all changed in how he viewed his relationship to Jesus, his relationship in the world, his relationship to other people. Everything changed for him. Because he had seen Jesus for who he truly was. But his close proximity clouded his judgment for so many years in his life. And how many of us being growing up in church, in the Bible Belt, churches on every corner, can can relate to Jude? We have this close proximity to church and things of faith. We have this close proximity to Jesus. I went to VBS growing up. I, I went to church camp. I did all these churchy things. But for some reason, our close proximity has clouded our judgment and we honestly don't see Jesus or view Jesus for who he truly is in our lives. Like for us to start a a letter out as fill in your name, servant of Jesus Christ. That if we did that or wrote that, we would be lying with our lives. Because that's not how we genuinely see it or view who we are in relationship to Christ. That we don't see our lives as servant and he is master. That we have this close proximity to Jesus and church and all things, you know, religion, if you will. But we don't see it as our relationship with Jesus is one as I am here to follow him wherever he leads. And to those that Jude is writing to, he reminds them of who they are. He's introduced himself in the verse opening phrases of his letter. But he says next that they are those who are called, loved, and kept. Called, loved, and kept. He doesn't really care about where they live, how old they are, what else they care about. It's not one of these letters where it's written to a specific geographical location. But Jude, rather, just writes to all those who are called, loved, and kept, who they, like he, served and trusted Christ. So he wrote this letter to us. He wrote this letter to us to inform us that not only does he serve Christ, but he wants us us to serve Christ. Not only did he trust his relationship with Jesus as Lord and Savior, not brother for salvation, he wants us to not trust in any other ties to us to get us to the next life he doesn't want us to trust in any other thing in this life for God to view us positively he doesn't want us to trust our family relationships our church attendance our good works none of those things for security and salvation rather 
our connectivity to who Jesus is. That was the solid firm foundation for Jude. Nothing else. Who he saw Jesus to be in his relationship with him. Not his familial connection. So our target statement this morning as we dive into the next half of the verse and one more verse is this. Is when you know who you are in Christ, then you can enjoy and freely give what Christ has given to you. When you know who you are in Christ, then you can enjoy and freely give what Christ has given to you. And here's how he does it. The next part of verse one. To those who are called, beloved in God the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ. We're gonna look at each one of these terms, one on the other. So called, the first term is called. And this call doesn't simply seem invited, like you got invited to a birthday party and you may or may not attend. The way this word is used all throughout the New Testament is one being beckoned from death to life. It's a similar term of Lazarus in John chapter 11 when Lazarus is dead in a tomb, four days, stanky dead. And Jesus says, Lazarus, come out. And Lazarus has new life breathed into his body and he is alive. This is mama ringing the dinner bell and your favorite meals on the table and you're hot and sweaty from playing all day as a little kid. You drop everything else and sprint to the dinner table. This is the called that we see and are introduced to. This is a thankfulness calling from spiritual deadness to spiritual life. And the same word is used all throughout the New Testament, but we're going to look at three places. The first one is by Peter in 1 Peter 5.10. And he says it like this, he says, And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. The next is by Paul in Romans 8.30. He says it like this, To those who have been predestined, he also called. To those whom he has called, he also justified. To those whom he justified, he also glorified. And then the last one is in John's writing in Revelation 17, where it says it like this. He says, and they will make war on the lamb and the lamb will conquer them. For he is the Lord of lords and the king of kings. And those with him are called and chosen and faithful. You see, this term is a thankfulness calling. It's a life-giving calling. It's only by the power of the Spirit of God calling that which these individuals who Jude is writing to, they have been called. And they are nothing but thankful for the fact that they've been called because they can't earn their way to Jesus. They can't work their way to Jesus. They have simply been brought to life by him. And the next he continues on. And so for those who are called, they're also, next phrase, beloved in God the Father. Beloved in God the Father. Notice that this is past tense. It's beloved. It's It's a past tense word that's used here. But this is not to say that you are beloved in God the Father in the sense of someone that you used to love that now you no longer love. Or that there used to be this affection that Christ gave you, but no longer. That's not at all what it's talking about here. This is past tense in the sense of that this love that God the Father has been loving you with was not a one-time, one-done event. It wasn't that God loved you when he sent his son. That he loved you even before that. 
God loved you before time began, and the love of Christ isn't a one-and-done event. That the love of Christ that God the Father has beloved you and I in has existed eternally. That he has loved us before the beginning of the world because that's what the Trinity has been at work doing. And the invitation to us to be beloved in God the Father is to join that love. That the love had a no starting point, no ending point. That you are simply beloved. That if you are a follower of Jesus, if you call him Lord and Savior or leader of your life and forgiver of your sins, you are loved by God. That is who God is. But so many of us don't see God that way. We don't think of God and first first guttural thought come to our mind. What do you think of when you think of God? Love. Most of us don't do that. Most of us think dictator, rule maker, fun killer. But the reality for us, A.W. Tozer said it like this, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Because maybe the problem isn't that God is the thing in your mind, it's that you have a wrong picture of who God is. That God's not the problem in your story, but rather your perception of who God is is the problem in your story. Because God is love and the invitation for God to invite us into intimate fellowship with him is his love is too good and too strong to leave us where we are his love is too good and too strong for us just to be pacified and you know taken as we are in terms of just leaving us in our mess That God meets us exactly where we are. That's what it means for him to be loved. But he doesn't leave us in that spot. That he carries us forward. That we're beloved, past, present, future. That he loves us too much to leave us in our sin. But he rather in intimate fellowship embraces and enfolds us into his love. Because what it means to be loved by God is to be in God. And to not be able to stay the same because you are called and loved and that love walks with us it talks with us throughout our lives and shapes us and makes us more like Christ so he says we're called or we're brought forth from death to life we are loved but not only that but we are kept for Jesus Christ kept for Jesus Christ this terminology simply means that we are kept safe by him and for him That we're kept safe by Jesus for all of our days. This does not mean that bad things won't happen to you or God only beloves you if nothing bad ever happens in your life. But rather, he is an even if kind of God. And it's not to say the opposite, which is the opposite would be, well, God loves me and is keeping me if, when he does a certain thing the way I want him to do it but rather that God loves us and is keeping us even if a sickness riddles my body. My God is loving us and keeping us even if I lose everything connected to my name that I've financially worked my entire life for. My God loves me and is keeping me even if someone else takes my life wrongfully. 
is keeping us. Keeping us safe for all eternity. Keeping us safe even in the midst of evil and suffering in this world. Keeping us safe through all mountaintops and valley moments. Because you, if you're a follower of Jesus, are called, beloved, and kept for Jesus. And the spiritual blessings that Jude invites these early readers to experience are this, verse two. And may mercy and peace and love be multiplied to you. May mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. You see, these two terms, mercy and peace, are, are super common in, in the Old Testament uh, dialect. They, in greetings and in goodbyes, they would say mercy and peace, very common. And you see that brought over in the New Testament, in the epistles, where they would say mercy and peace all the time. It just happens all the time. But Jude loves the term love. He says it three times in just 25 simple verses. He says it in verse 1, verse 2, and again in verse 21. So he adds in his own special flavor of the greeting. May mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. But the crazy thing is, is these are spiritual blessing kind of words where Jude desires not for us to experience it once, but he tacks on this phrase at the end, may it be multiplied or compound interest to you. And if you're thinking about your retirement, you know the beauty of compound interest, of this investment that keeps growing and growing and growing and growing. And this is the kind of phraseology that Jude desires for this to be in your life and your experience of your relationship with Jesus, to experience mercy, peace, and love, compound interest in your life. But what do these terms really mean? Because if we don't know what the terms mercy, peace, and love mean, how do we, how will we know if we've actually experienced them or know if they're compounding in our lives? Let's walk through them. First one is mercy. We talk about grace a lot, where grace is undeserved favor, but mercy literally at its core meaning is not getting something terrible you do deserve. That God showing us mercy is he and you both know what you should get at the other end of this because of your sin, because of your wickedness, and him choosing not to actually do that thing. That many of us have experienced mercy in our lives when we have done something terribly wrong, but we did not get the punishment we deserve. That's mercy. Where grace is undeserved favor. You're like, I didn't do anything to earn this, but I'm getting all these benefits. Mercy's on the other end because you did do something wrong, but you're not getting the punishment. And the word peace, we see it as the absence of conflict, but the word biblically simply means wholeness, wholeness in our lives, that we're experiencing a full and a flourishing life. It's more than just the absence of conflict. It's the presence of something better. And love, we all know what love is, right? We love tacos. We love our mamas. We love football. We love Jesus. We just love it. We love love. But this word is uh, the word that is one of the four words in Greek for love. And, and I put a definition that would try to help us see this word more fully. It, it's affection that proves itself. Affection that proves itself. It's a working out kind of love. It's a love that 
isn't simply just haphazardly thrown around that if you have a spouse or a significant other or a child and you simply say, I love you, but never do anything more than that. It's like, do you though? Do you actually really love me? When if they're in danger or trouble and they call you at two o'clock in the morning, love is what gets out of bed, goes wherever they are and shows up. This is the kind of definition of this word that Jude is displaying here. It's the definition of what Christ did. He didn't just say, I love you and write it in the sky. No, love left heaven, came to earth, lived the life that you and I couldn't live, died the death we deserve, but couldn't stay dead because of the power he and he alone possessed. But he got back up and ascended to sit at the right hand of the Father where it loved that proved its affection. And so if you want to take verse 2 and write it into a very long, maybe grammatically incorrect sentence, I'll just put it out there for anybody who's an English nerd. It may sound something like this. May you continue to not receive what at times you should get. And may you experience more and more wholeness as God's affection for you continues to prove itself. What Jude wants those early followers of Jesus to experience is this. May you continue to not receive what at times you should get because of the fact that you're still a sinner. You still hurt God's heart. You still hurt your fellow human beings. You still mess up in terrible ways. And may you continue to experience more and more wholeness in your life. More and more just, not just absence of conflict, but the presence of something just astronomically better. As God's affection for you continues, not just a one and done event, not just Jesus came once, but it continues to prove itself. Every day when you wake up and you've got breath in your lungs. Every day when you have a friendship that you don't deserve. Every day when you should just get the absence of mercy, may you get the presence of a love that proves itself. Because when you have truly noticed and experienced the mercy, the peace, and the love of God, you have no other right response than to enjoy it, but also show it to others. That remember our target statement, but when you know without a shadow of a doubt who you are in Christ, then you can enjoy and freely give what Christ has given to you. So here's the question. Do you know who you are in Christ? Some of you in this room are not followers of Jesus and hopefully you know that, that you're not thinking like, oh yeah, we're good. Me me and God, I showed up at church today. I'm glad we're ecstatic that you've chosen to worship with us. But we gather together because of what Jesus has done in our lives individually and this body corporately, not to get some mythical spiritual checkbox. My prayer for you and over this message all week has been that you would experience a a calledness today to see Jesus for who he truly is, that you can be those who are beloved and kept by God himself.
followers of Jesus in this room. My prayer for you this week has been that you would start to see God as a beloving father, not a militaristic tyrant. That the first thought in your mind would begin to shape that God loves you and he wants mercy and peace and, and love to be washed over your life. Not in this spiritual pat you on the back, but in such a way that you can walk as one who is sent by him to be an ambassador for his love, peace, mercy, and goodness in this world. And for those of you who feel like God's not on your side, my prayer for you is that you know that you are being kept by and for him no matter what pain, heartache, and misery this world or your aging body or your health-stricken body is experiencing. He is keeping you. May you continue to not receive what at times you should get. And may you experience more and more wholeness as God's affection for you continues to prove itself. So if you would, would you join me in just simply getting into a prayer posture that you feel comfortable with? Some of you maybe bow your heads right there at your seat and close your eyes. Others of you, you wanna keep your eyes open and, and stay alert, that's totally fine. There's gonna be a few prayer team members here on the sides that would love the opportunity to pray with and for you. But I simply wanna work through these terms as you invite the Holy Spirit into your life to do what only he can do because none of us can change our own hearts. We can put forth effort. We can come to God, but we genuinely believe in this place that God is the only one who can change us. We're invited to try and put forth effort, but he alone is the one we run to in this regard. For those of you who have committed your life to Jesus as leader of your life and forgiver of your sins, would you simply thank him for the finished work that he did on your behalf? You couldn't do anything to earn it, nothing to deserve it. Would you simply thank him for calling you from death to life? Continuing on, would you, those of you who have a wrong image or picture of God other than just a beloving father, would you begin to pray and just be honest with God of what it is that you see of him in your mind's eye when you think of him? That it's easy for you to see Jesus and say, yep, he, he is the loving one, but not, not the father. You have a different picture in your mind when you think of God the Father. That would you begin to just be honest and, and pray to him that he would help you see how everything he acts is act out of, out of love and, and holiness of who he is and how he acts in the world. For those of you who are experiencing pain or just doubt in your story, Would you be honest enough to be 
honest with God because he already knows that you struggle with that last phrase of doesn't feel like you're being kept securely by Jesus and for Jesus. For those of you who don't have a relationship with Christ, anybody with an orange name tag after we're finished here or come talk to myself or someone else that we would love to introduce you to Jesus to make him the leader of your life and forgiver of your sins. And last, those three words, mercy, peace, and love. Would you simply just invite the Holy Spirit to show you this week, and maybe even in this moment, where is mercy and peace and love that I'm not seeing it? Because we need to just become more aware of God's work in our life. Not necessarily, we don't even need more of it because he is working in it. Our job is to just recognize it. Would you pray that, invite God to, God, would you just help me see where you're already at work in my life and in my story, in my family, at my job place? Like, would you just help me see it? Lastly, would I invite you just to simply pray, would you help me see who also needs it? To needs to know about a God who is calling, keeping an invitation to love them. Who doesn't know about Jesus, who has never been introduced to the God of love. Spirit, we just thank you for your word and how you do ministry in ways that we could never. That only you, God, are the maker of us and one who is able to heal our broken hearts and heal our corrupted natures. God, that we pray that you would do what only you can do. And would you help us see and notice more and more of your activity in our lives with every passing moment. And God, today, would you help us this week continue to stay in this spirit and this mentality, this headspace to open our eyes to those around us, that we would just simply slow down to see people, to genuinely see them and offer to them what we've already received because of you. May we introduce them to to your son, Jesus, the leader of our lives and forgiver of our sins. We ask these things in Christ's name.